0: Well, it is good, uh, friends, to be with you. I miss uh, my church. Uh, we're dealing with some really, uh, we're teaching through the, um, the book of 1 Timothy and we're 1 Timothy 2 today, which is some really uh, tricky text and uh, it's going very well, uh, I've heard. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, so I want to be there, but it made it so good just to be uh, with you here. And uh, as Owen said earlier, just uh, these are, you know, in ways I forget sometimes, these are my roots. And uh, there's some people uh, in this room Uh, who God's used in my life, who have been kind, uh, who were uh, peers uh, or who were Sunday school teachers uh, or just encouragers along the way. And so it's just really, really fun to look out in the crowd and see uh, some familiar faces. Uh, It's been really fun. And a lot of them, uh, last time I saw them, you know, they were this tall and they have kids. And so uh, Jaron was, uh, Jaron Young was one of my our brother's really, really good friends, and so uh, I, I've only known Jaron as someone that his mom needed to drop him off uh, at, at uh, church, and now he's like running the place, you know, with kids of his own. It's pretty, uh, pretty wild uh, to be here. So um, I was thinking about... Um, People that have made an impact on my life, and uh, one of them was—you know—I think about some of the Sunday school teachers I had. I came to faith when I was 16 years old, and uh, no other way to explain it, but God just uh, was um, after me. I was thinking about he, um, uh, just people that made an impact on my life. One of them was—I yeah, think about some of the Sunday made school teachers I had. I came to faith when and I was 16 years of old. Salvation. Clear. And, uh, no other way and to explain it. God just so I didn't have a choice. I don't think I was Thinking just, uh, about just people that made an impact on my life. One of them was. Uh, people, uh, both when I, before I became a believer and then even uh, after. And uh, I was thinking about my um, my Sunday school teacher when I was a senior in high school. And um, there was uh, several of us, we were jocks and we thought we were pretty cool. Uh, we were kind of all that. And we were in a Sunday school uh, class with a dad. This dude was a dad and we were cool. And uh, he was our Sunday school teacher. And so uh, at times I'm sure he felt, he, Uh, that we felt like with him, that we were lucky, or he was lucky to be in the room with us. That was probably the vibe we were throwing off uh, there, you know, and he never, he never said uh, anything uh, to that nature, but we were, uh, we were pretty, pretty full of ourselves as we were trying to follow Christ. That was true, Um, but man, he, I, I, you know, I just remember very little about what he said, what he taught, the the Sunday school lessons that we uh, went through, but I remember his life. I remember his life, and uh, Paul tells us to Uh, consider others lives and um, and there are leaders and he was a leader that I could consider and uh, and model uh, his life and uh, a couple things I remember uh, one um, he would call me every single week right this this is before cell phones this is when you had a landline and we only had one phone and so I think I think the day was Thursday he will call every single Thursday you're like John do you mean every Thursday I mean. Every single Thursday. About the same time, the phone would ring. Uh, we only had one phone. It would be in the living room. And he, the phone would ring, and I would go out there. And that's kind of, you know, my, uh, my brother and my mom and dad were there. And the conversation would go. Basically, this is the outline every week. It was, uh, hey, how was your week? Um, uh, there were some things I was praying for you uh, last week. How, how did those go? Um, any updates on that? How can I pray for you this week? Every single week. And I don't know. I... Uh, what I was like on the other, what it was like on the other end. I bet it wasn't like, hey man, it is so, uh, from, from my perspective, like, so great to uh, hear from you. Thanks for calling my house on a Thursday. That that was awesome. Please keep doing it. I doubt he got that from me, right? He probably got this super cool uh, 17-year-old going, hey, what's up? You know, that's probably how I, how I answered that, and he called every single week. And I remember our church, um, we'd have these meetings sometimes at night, and um, and one night, um, his wife walked down uh, the aisle, and she's crying. And I was like, "Oh, dude, what have you done?" And she—I kid you not—she walks up, she walks down the middle aisle, walks up, walks up to the podium, and she takes her wedding ring off. And I was like, "Oh no, dude! Like, don't let's don't do this right here, uh, right now." And uh, and she said, "You know what? Um, I believe in the mission of this church, and uh, this is a material thing I have, and uh, I gladly—it uh, would be an honor." Uh, if this church sold this ring and uh, applied those funds to the building fund because I want to I make sure that the mission of God continues here. And I, since I'm 17 years old. I just don't have categories uh, for this. And um, that couple, I think, is, is here. Uh, Kim Cobble, are you here, brother? Where's Kim? Seeing he in here? Where are you at, brother? Up in the very top. Um, brother, I just want you to know Um, that I hold you in high regard. Um, Paul told uh, the church in in Philippi to uh, hold Epaphras and men like him in in honor, and I I hold you in high regard. And um, the reality is, Kim, uh, God's been gracious and kind and done some stuff in and through me. Uh, I've got a wife who most days uh, likes me and loves me. Uh, I have four kids who uh, love the Lord, uh, most days like me, and uh, a ministry that's, you know, it's been helpful to a few folks. And um, there's lots, of, you're not the only one, brother, but there's lots of people that played a part, but you you played a significant role, and uh, no one's read your books, listened to your podcast, read your blogs, uh, but you've marked my life, brother, and, uh, and I'm, I want you to know I'm grateful, and I'm glad I got to reconnect with you uh, while I'm here. And in um, church, I want you to know that um, you, are, you are in many ways, um, Kim and Dana, uh, some people probably who are pretty arrogant and ungrateful and unthoughtful, <laughs> and they won't, uh, they won't come back and say thanks, right? I think about Jesus, you know, he heals 10 people, only one of them comes back, right? So Jesus had a 10% return rate, and he was the son of God, so I just don't think mine's going to be uh, that high, yours isn't either. And so we don't judge success uh, or failure uh, based on results, right? We judge our success based on faithfulness. And Kim was a faithful brother and a faithful uh, steward of the gospel and encourager. Uh, he just showed up in my life, and, uh, and God used him. And so uh, if nothing else today, uh, I hope if you're showing up in people's lives, you're serving, you're using your gifts here, uh, I hope you're encouraged that... <laughs> <laughs> There's 17-year-old arrogant knuckleheads that uh, could actually show up and be high-functioning adults uh, with families and, uh, and, and, uh, and help, help this world. And you just have no idea, you have no idea who's in front of you. And uh, don't ever diminish your role just because you don't have a microphone. And a lot of times, especially today with social media and you know, even the word influencer makes my just skin crawl. Um, no one's trying to be an influencer. We're all trying to be faithful. And Kim was faithful, and uh, there's a lot of people that wouldn't know to tell him thanks, um, but I'm in his downline, and, um, and there's people in your downline, or there are people that could be in your downline if you could uh, just take a bold step, take people to lunch, serve here uh, in one of these ministries. And uh, so, you know, Jesus got a 10% rate. I bet ours is going to be like one in 50, um, but the other 49, uh, Kim's going to hear about in eternity, and I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, for him, much more so uh, than some famous uh, authors, bloggers, podcasters, Instagram influencers. I think eternity is going to be really fun for Kim and Dana. Um, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, church. Um, today, uh, Owen asked me just to talk for a few minutes about family, and so I'll take the balance of my time uh, to do so. And uh, so if you've got your, if you've got your Bibles, um, open it up to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And I think you guys recently talked did a series on the gospel. Is that, is that right? Is that right? So we'll, we'll kind of we'll we'll do the relationship thing in light of the gospel. And um, I, I just want to I never want to take for granted that we understand that we know what the, the gospel is. And I just want to explain it just for a second to remind us, as Paul reminded um, the church in Corinth. So First uh, Corinthians 15 verse one, he says, "Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel." The gospel that I preached to you and you received on which you have uh, taken your stand. And so, I I bet you've you've talked about this ten times uh, in the last few months, but the gospel is not just for non-believers. The gospel is for believers, and Paul is reminding the Corinthian church of the gospel. It's for believers, too. And I love what Jerry Bridges says, that we should preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Not just fill up stadiums and present the gospel and the Bridge to Life illustration. I hope that people will come to Christ who are far from him. But for believers, it is an incredible comfort and guiding light. So verse 2. But by this gospel you were saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. This gospel that he's going to remind them of, what is this gospel? It's coming, but he's going to remind the believers and he's telling them it is it's the most important thing. It's of first importance. It's a central centrality um, with, with no second place, no close second place in the Christian life. The gospel is everything. It's of first importance. And and this is it. So it goes colon, which means it's going to explain what, what this thing of first importance is, and it is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according, uh, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to, the, um, appeared to Peter, and then the 12. The, the Son of Man, who is fully God, or Son of, son of God, who is fully, fully God, fully man, took the sin of the world on him all that we talked about this morning the wrath of god was poured out on the god man and so you would think that would crush him if he was a man he wouldn't be raised and the scripture is really clear he was raised which means he conquered sin and death and that's the good news we don't have to experience the wrath of god like i've been mad at my kids and i'm pretty sure it's a pretty scary place to be right to big you know Uh, big angry man when you're little. Imagine the the terror of having an angry dad. Can you imagine if God came after you? If he was angry at you? How terrifying that would be? He's not. If you're rightly related to Christ, the wrath of God has been poured out, and he should be angry for uh, what we've done, for what you've done, for what I've done. But he poured it out on his son. There's no wrath left for us. It's the gospel. And so then that... That example then should permeate all of our lives. And so this morning, just for a few minutes, I want to talk about how it could permeate our marriages and how the gospel can teach us about marriage and how marriage, I think, helps us understand the gospel. And so if you left today and you said uh, someone at lunch and you said, what was the message about? And someone said it was a message about marriage. And someone would go, no, it was a message about the gospel. And you like got in a big fight about that gospel or marriage. I'd be really pleased uh, because it's about both. We're going to talk about what the gospel teaches us uh, about marriage. I want to just give you three things. And this is really important. I, I love skills. We'll give you some tonight, guys. We'll give some really practical skills, give you some how-tos. Um, but this is what I've learned in about 20 years working with couples is that, and this, the research bears this out, you can teach a couple skills, they can read a book, they can go to a conference, they can go um, uh, talk to a marriage counselor, and their, their marital satisfaction, the, co- the researchers will call it mutual marital satisfaction, so that both people, not one, but both say our marriage is better. That will rise, right? It's called an intervention, a book, conference, counseling, marriage is better. Here's the problem. Over the next seven years, it will revert right back to where it was, okay? So I went to marriage Conference, everybody was fired up, everybody was happy, marriage is gonna be better, and it'll just go back like this, it'll go right back. So you got a couple options. One, you could keep going back to marriage conferences all the time you know, right, to keep and, and ride, this, ride this wave, right? Awesome marriage, eh, crummy marriage, awesome marriage, crummy marriage, and just read a book or things like that. And I, was, I would suggest that you do read books and go to conferences. Or you can find a reason, more than a how, uh, to love your spouse or to love your neighbors. And some of you uh, aren't married, and uh, want to be. I think these things will have um, a kind of importance and help uh, to you in ways you might not understand until later. And then all of us know people who either are married or uh, want to be married. And so I think as a, as a body of Christ, we'll be able to hear these things and help uh, our married friends, whether you're married uh, or not. So I want to give you three things that I think the gospel helps us uh, understand uh, about marriage. Okay. Um, the first one is that the gospel helps us and, or the, the gospel teaches us, better said, uh, to initiate. The gospel teaches us to initiate. Romans 5 8 is a verse probably many of you know. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, all, all other religions work on some type of reciprocation. You do something, and then the God or the gods respond. They reciprocate. You do your part, the gods do their part do your part the gods do their part you don't do your part the gods won't do their part it's contractual you do yours they do theirs you do yours they do theirs and a lot of marriages candidly are built that way that um you know i'm i'm in as long as you do these these things and then if not then either i'm out or i'll just kind of wait until you do yours and then i'll move towards you god didn't do that with us Imagine how long he would have had to wait for us to get our stuff together. He'd still be waiting. So rather than him waiting for us to do our part, whether, rather than uh, waiting for him to make us make him feel really good about who we are and the way we love him and the way he, we respond to him, he goes, "You know what? I'm just going to initiate." I'm going to send my son. While these people are actively rebellion, giving me uh, the fist and doing whatever they want to do, which is contrary to me, I'm going to initiate. The gospel teaches us to initiate, not to reciprocate. Right? Someone has to go first. In every relationship at all times, Christ went first. He didn't wait for us. We go first in our marriages. And I, um, I, I could pick a hundred of these examples. I remember um, most recently, uh, two and a half years ago, I herniated my desk, L5-S1. And uh, yeah, to, to say it hurt would be the understatement of the millennium, right? I remember walking into church uh, some days and just tears, you know, uh, grown, grown man, hot tears, uh, wiping them away. It hurt that bad and I would kind of muscle my way through the day and I'd come home and I would just lay down, right? You know, and my wife had to be going, what a catch uh, you are, you know, just like lay there and do nothing. And uh, I remember when our oldest son had gone off to college, so there was already kind of a dark cloud uh, hanging over the, the house a little bit. And I just, I remember feeling like, I've got no, basically nothing to offer my wife Pam, right? And I watched the way, because uh, she was gonna reciprocate she would fold her arms and go, great. So as soon as your back is, is, is better, as soon as you get over this weird funk about having your oldest uh, go off to college and you actually bring me energy and life and do something for me, then I'm in. And she didn't. She initiated, she served, and she went first. And there's sometimes we'll just get twisted up and, and I don't, you know, it doesn't happen often. but it's like, I don't want to talk to her. And I, rem- I remember, it's the craziest thing. I'll go, we're a bit of a, not a standoff, but no one's moving towards each other. And I don't remember Romans 5.8. I don't remember a marriage technique. I remember that God went first. And I said, to love my wife is, like, is to, uh, like Christ, what the church would be to go, to go first. It would be to initiate. And so i want to ask you, where are you stuck? Where are you waiting for them? What are you hoping that they will kind of get their stuff together and then you'll really, then you'll really be a great spouse? If you're waiting for that to happen, you're not, you're not living, I don't think, in light of the gospel. So married or non-married, you know, I, I bet you you're going, okay, I, I heard you, I got the verse. But, but John, what, what if they're like in a bad mood? Um, shouldn't I just like wait till they snap out of it, get over it to be kind? Right? Are you saying that I should go first, even if there are those things? Or what? If, what if they don't really propose anything fun to do in their relationship? Like, am I still response, am, I, am I still supposed to initiate? Is that what God would have me do? What if there's this dang chore that no one does, and I I feel like I'm pulling my weight, but they're not pulling theirs? Do you think? Are you Are you saying that God would have me go? Or if there's been a lack of uh, physical affection that I should initiate, or you could, even if you're not married, in, in my Sunday school class or with my friends, like none of those guys are calling me. Are you saying that in light of the gospel, I should call them? What if there's conflict that needs to be addressed that no one else is? Am I supposed to go? Or, um, you know, on and on and on. Why? Are you saying, John, essentially that rather than reciprocate, I'm supposed to initiate? I think that's exactly what God would say. Because it's exactly what God modeled. Someone has to go first. Christ went first. Christians should have no problem. It's very congruent. It's a proper response to the gospel is to go first. And anytime we don't, we're saying, I'll receive God's initiation. I'm just not passing it on. It's completely incongruent for a believer. Second thing, um, that, that got, well, and how, how about this for a, for a, a freebie, um, some of you haven't initiated physically, you're kind of at a standoff, and uh, we're all over each other with COVID in the same house, and we don't, but we don't want to like, be next to each other. Um, if you haven't and you're married and you can, you should kiss. And great research about the power of kissing for six seconds. And uh, it releases all kinds of amazing oxytocin, and you feel close. It only takes six seconds, right? And so if you want to pray after that, or you want to do whatever you want to do after that, that's great. Don't send me an email. But uh, some of you, some of you are waiting for the other person at the show Affection. I would encourage you to find some way at the show Physical uh, Physical Affection, as well as um, just interest as a friend in marriages and not. The gospel teaches us to initiate. Second, the gospel teaches us to forgive. And this one should be pretty clear to us as believers. We know that that's, part, that's a big part of the gospel is that, that Christ, this first importance is that Christ um, died for our sins. Which is to say he forgave us. My favorite passage about forgiveness is in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Because um, you know, the disciples were wondering, like, how many times are we supposed to forgive these people? These people who do really bad things. Is it like three times? Um, you know, Because that like, that would be pretty... Uh, pretty astounding. How about seven? You know, or, are there, or, those, or those kind of things. Is it 77 times? How many times? And Jesus is just like, no, it's, it's unlimited, but that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The wrong, the, the wrong question is how many times or how, better said. The right question is why, and Jesus tells them a story. It's a story if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with, but I don't always know if we believe it. There was a king, and he's settling his accounts, and he looks down, and this guy owes him a truckload of money, like we're talking trillions, right? Trillions of dollars, and this is before stock options and Facebook and Apple stock, and you can't pay back trillions in a, in the ancient Near East. You're toast. So the king calls a man or the servant who's kind of reconciling the books, and he says, "Man, you owe me a trillion dollars. Pay it." And the guy says, I can't pay it. And he goes, well, if you, you know, until you uh, repay it, um, then you're gonna go to uh, prison and basically you're gonna be separated from your family and you're gonna, you're gonna die until you can repay. And the guy says this, he says, have mercy on me. King, have mercy. I really don't have a leg to stand on. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have, turns out, a trillion dollars to offer you, but would you please have mercy? King goes, okay i don't know what happened i don't know if there's you know he took his big king giant king book and he just marked it through but whatever happened the guy knew that he was free and he walked out that day i mean imagine imagine the turn of events you owe a trillion dollars you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison and in jail and you step outside how clean was the air how blue was the sky how good did your bagel taste right and he's I amazing mean, He's having the time of his life. Can't wait to go home and tell his wife. And he sees someone that he works with. And he goes, I remember that guy owes me some money. He owes me about three months wages. I'm going to go get it. And he walks over to him, probably puts his bagel, his bagel down. And uh, he goes over there and he says, you, you owe me three months wages. I want you to repay it. And the guy goes, yeah. turns out I don't have it. But please have mercy on me. The guy begins to choke him. He says, no, you're going to go to prison? And you're going to repay, and you'll be separated from your family until you die, or repay me. No mercy. King hears about it. Let's just say, he wasn't real thrilled. And he said, all that stuff I was going to do to you, I'm now going to do to you. And so will it be, Jesus says, and so will it be to you if you don't forgive. If you don't forgive from uh, your heart. And it should be so obvious when we read that, that that's us we're the unmerciful servant. That's, that's us. That's that wretch in the middle of that story that, that racked up this massive debt that you couldn't repay. You can't repay God. There's nothing you can do. You're toast. <laughs> and what he deserves, what we deserve is separation, death, hell, punishment. That's what we deserve. And in Christ, we're able to beg for mercy. And we are just like that guy because people will ask us for mercy as well and we don't give it to them. Your spouse will blow it. They'll be human. Their sin will come out. They will be less than. They will be unthoughtful. They will be unkind. Sometimes they'll be downright mean. And they will ask you, will you please forgive me? And you'll go, no, no. And God is not pleased. Whether they asked for it or not, whether they deserve it or not, you didn't know in and of yourself to ask for it without a prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you definitely don't deserve it, but you received it. And your spouse deserves nothing, candidly, but as someone who's received a free gift like that, you should only feel a natural response to reciprocate that way. So Christian marriages is. if it's known for anything, it should be known for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the same as trusting, right? If Pam, this hasn't happened, but if Pam maxed out our credit card um, and uh, she said, hey, can I get another card? Uh, she, goes, she said, please forgive me. I could do that. And she goes, can I get another card? I go, I'm not sure. That's such a good idea. We're going to have to talk about that one a little bit. Let's go to cash for a bit. You can rebuild trust. Doesn't mean I trust her. doesn't mean that what she did was, was wrong. None of those things are true, but it means I give up a right to get even. I don't, you know, either physically or metaphorically, ask Pam to pay me back. That's what forgiveness is. And, guys, it's so great to receive it from God. It's so great to pass it on um, to another human. It's so great to receive it. Um, a little while ago, Pam and I were talking, and I, I don't even know what I said, but I know it wasn't Christian. And I know Pam didn't say anything, but I saw it on her face. Like, oh, and I remember going, "Oh shoot, um, that's not cool." And uh, and so like, she wasn't a big hot mess, but I just you could tell. I bet you there were these little tears uh, in her eyes. And um, and I was like, "Oh, babe, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's no excuse. Um, will you please forgive me?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I forgive you." We went to bed. We went in a lot of chit-chat. We just went to bed. and woke up the next morning, and I remember just feeling, like, just terrible. I was like, dude, that's God's daughter. You don't fly off the handle and say dumb things and mean things to God's daughter. And and I'm brushing my teeth. I'm in the bathroom, and Pam walks in, and she's walking, and I catch her through the mirror. I was like, hey, babe, again, man, I'm so sorry. Or oh, truly, that was... I was not okay. Uh, will, you, uh, will you forgive me? And she walked behind me, all right, so she's much smaller than I am, and so she's standing directly behind me in the mirror. I can't see her, so I, I know she's back there, but I can't see her. Um, and then all of a sudden, these little arms, these little, like, T-Rex arms come in uh, behind me, and uh, I still don't see her, and she just popped out. She goes, hey, I said I forgive you. Next. And she just kept moving. And the kind of person that can say that is someone that understands how deeply they've been forgiven. It's just, it's not a thing to say, okay, it still still wounded me. I can still be hurt, but I'm not going to try to get even with you. That's crazy. That's incongruent with being a recipient of the gospel. I don't do that. You don't do that in marriage. You don't do that in relationships. If anybody should be able to extend and grant forgiveness, whether they ask for it or not, it should be Believers. Some of you are stuck. Some of you are hurting. Um, some of you are holding on to some serious unforgiveness. And I would just tell you, um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. And I don't ever remember looking back at periods of my, of my life with un, where there was unforgiveness and going, man, I'm really glad I did that. That was a really smart strategy. That year where I held that grudge and I didn't forgive them and I kind of tried to freeze them out, you know, and let them know how much uh, they hurt me, said no one ever. Like, it never is a good idea. And it's never okay for a believer. And it's definitely never okay uh, when God's son and God's daughter are married to do that to each other. So are there techniques to forgive? Sure. But I will tell you, if you lock down on the why, you'll figure it all out and you'll enjoy your marriage, and you'll find yourself moving towards uh, the oneness that God had for you. You'll find yourself uh, experience the joy of any relationship in the workplace, at home, with friends, if you learn to forgive. And we should, because we've received it. It's really easy uh, to forgive, okay? Gospel teaches us to initiate. It teaches us to uh, forgive. And then lastly, um, it teaches us to keep our commitments. And so God just kept his commitment with a bunch of obstinate people. First to Abraham, this, this, uh, this word, um, he, he, Owen can parse it for you. He's trying to put me on the spot. Uh, the word in the Old Testament is hesed. It's this loyal, dogged, unexplainable love that God had for his people, irrespective of the dumb stuff they did. He made a co- uh, covenant uh, with Abraham and then with David and on to the New Testament to us when he the night before he died, he raised the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the the new covenant. I make an unbinding promise with you through the gospel. I will commit to you, not because of anything you've done. In fact, it's in spite of what you've done. It's the way God relates to us. It's not because of, it's in spite of, and that's what's supposed to inform us as Christians, and so when we think about this, this covenant love, we should think about Matthew nineteen six. It's the verse, oftentimes it gets read, um, 19, 4 through 6, it gets read in, in, uh, in kind of wedding ceremonies, and the pastor will say, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And it's just this throwaway phrase. And it should, as Christians, it should hearken us back to these covenants that God has made with his people, and we stand back and we go, oh, wow. Previously, the covenants were made these promises were made between god and man and god is saying i enter in somehow now into a promise between two people and stand in the middle of that and you guys better not mess with it this is binding death to us part this is a covenant it's not a contract i do what i'm supposed to do then you do what you're supposed to do if you don't do what you're supposed to do i won't do what i said i would do that's a contract Covenant is in spite of, not because of. And guys, I mean, it's one of the knocks on, candidly, on the church, is that Christians get divorced roughly the same, sometimes more, depending on how you slice it, than the, than the non-believing world. The research, I mean, researchers love to throw that. The reality is, if you go to church and you pray, you're like reading your Bible, you're committed, your divorce rate is much, much lower. If, that, uh, if someone ever throws research uh, at you, you can say, well, it depends on how you slice it. But point made. Christians shouldn't be divorcing at the rate that we're divorcing at. There'd be some times, I think it was for you you, as a church to figure out, there's some times where there's abuse and some really crazy things and it might be just better, wiser to separate. Um, And God doesn't hate, doesn't hate you if you're divorced. Some of my best friends are divorced. God's using them in really profound ways. But they all would say, you know, in hindsight now, I wish I'd kept my commitment or tried to, um, or understood the nature of the commitment of God. We've got to keep our commitments. And the most helpful metaphor that I've, I've, I know to give couples when they're in, in one of those situations that they're thinking about should I, keep, should I keep my commitments or not, I, I, I encourage them to think about being in a room with a lot of doors. And because reality is sometimes we're thinking about leaving our marriage and we walk through, we might walk out uh, physically. Uh, and go uh, divorce, go marry someone else, we might uh, metaphorically walk out and give our best at work, or we might, um, we might give our best to pornography or just living as undivorced. And as long as any of those are in options, we'll wonder what that will be like. And it's called the paradox of choice. It's something remar- remarkable happens when you take away all the choices, you feel free. And I just encourage people always to take away all the choices and go, you know what, we're gonna work this out. We'll do that or we'll like kill each other, you know, die and try kind of thing. And, and, um, and oftentimes I've seen that over and over and over again. Just once a couple takes that divorce off the table, they go, okay, great, we're gonna work this out, right? Or we're just gonna be really miserable living, uh, living for the rest of our lives. I choose the option where we work on it. And uh, as, long as, as long as that is uh, what's front and center, I think God will help us. Oftentimes, not always, uh, he does. And so we keep our commitments and then uh, that's part of the covenant love. And then we invest in um, the relationship, right? If you're going to be around, right? If you're going to live in the house uh, for the next 50, 60 years, you might as well fix it up, right? When people are going to let a home go to foreclosure, that's when it leaks. This is the way it always goes. Um, the, the home falls into disrepair. It starts to leak. They don't fix it. Um, then uh, there's mold and it gets really gross and they let it go to foreclosure. And then they tell themselves, you know what? I never liked that house anyway. It's not true, it's not true. They just stopped fixing up the house and stopped working on the house, and so now they don't like the house that they have, and they've rewound the tape and said, for always, uh, I've never liked the house, it's just not true. You tend to view your marriage as it is now, and uh, how how would you say that? So the the state of your marriage now is how you rewind the tape uh, and view your marriage generally uh, for all times. And so they'll ask these couples um, who really, really love each other and those who really don't, about their honeymoon, which happens many, many years ago, and the people that are investing in their marriage now, they'll go, "Man, honeymoon was awesome," and they'll go back and they're like, "You know, it was raining, and she was sick the whole time. Like, you know that, right?" And uh, like, "Oh yeah, but I think it was awesome. I-, I love my, I love my honeymoon." And then the couples that hate each other, everything could have been perfect, first class to to the destination without a hitch, and they'll go, "Nah, it was miserable. I was with them. I hated every." minute of it. It's not true, but they've given up on their commitment. It's tainted the way they view the whole relationship, so they're less apt to invest in it now, and I would say if you want to like the house you have, you uh, fix it up. You work on it. You invest in it. Our relationships are a perfect reflection of the amount of energy we put into them, a perfect reflection. We have a little garden out front of our house, a little flower garden, and uh, it was a disa- it's not great, but it was an unmitigated disaster uh, a few years ago. And uh, I got the kids out front, and I said, hey, guys, we're going to win yard of the month. And they laughed. We all laughed, because we were looking at that going, there's just no way. And, um, and we pulled out some bushes. I don't know the name. If I did, I would, wouldn't wish them on my worst enemy. Uh, but we pulled them out. It took saws, We blew up the irrigation system in the, uh, in the process. Had to rebuild the irrigation system and plant new plants. And we took our first measured step. Does it look great? Are we yard of the month? No but I will tell you what, it looks exponentially better than it did. And we're on, I think we're on a path. I think we're within a couple of years of striking distance and we're gonna have yard of the month. And the, that same garden that I used to just like scorn, if you think flower beds up front, I just go like, ah, oh, I hate those. I had that um, green, evergreen stuff that just spilled out all over the, it killed, it just choked to death anything that was in there. It was a blight on the, um, yeah, on the neighborhood. I kind of go like, we got some flowers out there now. We got some bushes that are tame. It's like, am I kind of—we got a little uh, uh, Japanese maple uh, working out there. I kind of I like my garden. It's the same garden, but because I'm investing in it, I feel differently uh, about it. And some of us just—we're just not putting in the work, candidly. And, um, and I would just encourage you to think about what is the right next step in your relationship. It's work, same thing for friendships. Some of you aren't feeling it from your friend. You're like, hey, these, are, these are lousy friends. Uh, I would encourage you to initiate. I would encourage you to forgive. And I would encourage you just to commit, which is to say uh, two things. One, I won't sever the relationship. I'm going to commit to you. And then second is I'm going to uh, invest in it. Okay? Guys, I'm telling you, I've read a lot of marriage books. You can come to my office. I got a lot of marriage books. Uh, they, all, they all sound the same after a while. But if i could give you one piece of marriage advice it would be to believe and extend the gospel believe the gospel live in light of it let the gospel inform your marriage all of your relationships and i the best illustration i know is some of um, pam and i's best friends one of her best friends anyway um, their marriage was beyond done toxic to um, the nth degree He wanted a divorce. She wasn't sure she didn't, but she couldn't see a path forward. He moves, tells her not to come with. She, against all sound um, counsel, moves with him, moves to a city she knows no one in um, to a place candidly she doesn't like uh, with a man who said, do not come, I don't love you. How's that for the beginning of a great love story? And so that's, that's what we knew that happened. We'll call her Susan. Um, And then we caught up with her uh, several years later, and Pam had been, you know, uh, following up, and she was doing really, really well. And so she sat at our kitchen table, and I said, hey, Susan, like, tell, tell me about this. What in the world? She's like, "We're, we're doing great. I love being married. And I was like, same, we're still talking about the same guy, right? This is the same dude that uh, you despise would spit on if he was on fire. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Help me understand what happened. And she goes, you know, the craziest thing. Uh, I found a little church in our town and I found some older women and we would just read our Bible. And I really began to understand God's love for me and, and, um, and I just tried to love you know, my husband will call him Tom. I really tried to love Tom the way I was learning about the way God loved me. I was like, okay, but like, what did you do? And guys, I mean, I wish I I had recorded it because what came out of her mouth were like these like high-level marriage techniques. She would talk about the way she'd communicate to her spouse. And I'm like, oh, so clearly you've read this book or this book. She goes, no, do you think I should? And she, like, wrote the authors down. I go, seriously? She goes, I've never read those. I was like, huh, well, I, mean, I guess you don't need to read them now. But yeah, that's, that, they talk about the same thing. And uh, so tell me something. Else. And she would talk about the way that she um, uh, learned to kind of, like, serve and initiate physically when he didn't. And was just all, all kinds of stuff. And it happened, like, three, four times. And, and I just said, i throw out the book. I said, this author, that's, he's the guy on that. You not, you not read that? Never heard of him. Should I read it? We went through the song and dance multiple times. And I was like, what what did you read? She goes, John, listen to me. I read my Bible. I tried to do what it said I should do. I realized how much God loved me and how much he must love Tom. And I tried to follow suit. And I love that man. It, It rattled me. It really rattled me. I was like, oh shoot, I've got all these books. I just probably would have done better to spend more time with this one. And I would commend that to you. I would commend to you to understand the gospel, understand that God initiated with you and initiate with your spouse. Like to let your breath be taken away by how much God has forgiven you. What a massive debt you rang up and how quickly he just let it go. And let that posture permeate your relationships, and then just to commit. Commit to your spouse, commit to your friends, regardless of what they do. You're not keeping score. It's not a contract. You're just making a covenant. I choose you. In marriage, you don't, you don't covenant uh, to someone who's not your spouse, but same principle. You just commit to them, and then you invest, and not always. You know, results may vary, but generally you end up liking the marriage you have. You invest in that garden, that garden that sometimes you weren't maybe proud of, sometimes you even despise of, you look at it and go, like, man, I like that. It's the power of the gospel. Guys, it is of first importance. And if you're trying to work on any relationship, I commend you to put that front and center. Thanks for letting me share. Pastor Owen?
1: Mace, as we wrap up this morning, two quick things. Number one, if you're looking for a way to invest in a marriage right now, or guys, you're thinking about that, five o'clock tonight, back in the gym, we'll continue to think through these things, talk about these things. John's gonna continue to teach. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Number two is if you need prayer, right where you are, if there's a way that we could pray for you. If you say I've never experienced that type of forgiveness, I don't know what it looks like to turn around and give that to someone else. If we can pray for you, we want to be able to do that this morning. Before you even leave, John will stay down here at the front. I'll be down here at the front. If we can pray for you, pray with you for others who you're investing in, who you're praying for, marriages. And then as we think about what God has for us down the road here to Mayus, and as we continue to do this type of ministry together. So thankful that we can live the gospel out in that way. Let me pray for us. After I pray, we're going to be dismissed, but do not leave this place if we can pray for you. Father, thank you for the presentation of the gospel this morning through music, through encouraging one another. God, we know one of the most important acts of worship we can do will be the conversations we have with one another in the next few minutes as we leave. God, that we would encourage and build up one another, that we would stop and pray for one another. God, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know what it is to be forgiven by you, to have that peace and that hope, Father, that they would trust in Jesus in this very moment, God, to know what it is to be forgiven, to know what it is to be set free. And God, I pray for marriages both in this room and in our neighborhoods and our workplaces that are hurting. God, for kids who look at their parents and they know that the marriage is not in a good place and they just don't know how to help. God, I pray that you would use the church, that you would use the power of your word to bring healing and to bring hope to those situations. And so, Father, we trust you in that way right now. We thank you for this time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>